It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Who were the Tuskegee Airmen? What role did they play in World War II? And how does their legacy live on today? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. In honor of Black History Month, we're highlighting the noble and gallant Tuskegee Airmen. Now, this aviation fighter group was originally formed in March of 1941 as an experiment to train young black pilots to fight in World War II. They defied expectations, they broke the color barrier, and became the first African-American military aviators in the United States Armed Forces. So what challenges did the Tuskegee Airmen face? Who requested their military support in World War II? And how do they continue to inspire generations of future airmen? Here to talk me through all of this and more is the author of the New York Times bestselling series, Who Were the Tuskegee Airmen? Cherie Smith. And Sheree joins me now. Sheree, how are you doing? Great. How are you? I am doing wonderful. And um, I'm so happy that you joined me today to talk about this topic. We're talking about the Tuskegee Airmen. So let's just start from the beginning. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone knows who we're talking about. But just in case, basic definition, who were the Tuskegee Airmen? The short definition is the Tuskegee Airmen were the first pilots of color in the United States military. They served during World War II. Sweet. And uh, I see there were a collection of squadrons, right? How did that work? I mean, you had the 99th, the 100th, the 301st, the 302nd, um, which all made up the 332nd fighter group. What did they do? Right. So um, basically, when the program started, you know, you graduate a handful of pilots through training. And when they amassed enough graduates in the first year, they formed the first fighting squadron. Um, And so by the end of let's see, that would have been in 1942. So by the following year, they were able to form three more squadrons. So the first one was the 99th Fighter Squadron, or FS, and then the 100th, and then the 301st, and then the 302nd. And then all of those squadrons combined like Voltron to form the fighter group that was called the 332nd. Um, And these were fighter pilots. Um, They were bombardiers. So one of the main things that I think the Tuskegee Airmen are known for is protecting bomber planes as they flew into enemy territory in the European theater of war. Yes. So that would be like you're sending um, you're sending a a big think of a bomber plane as almost like a big, slow bumblebee. Mm -hmm. And it's lumbering along. And of course, the. the Axis powers are going to send their fighters to try to shoot it down before it can bomb whatever the target is. So fighter planes were sent to protect the bomber. So imagine you've got hummingbirds zipping around <laughs> the slow bumblebee, fighting off any any enemy attackers. And so that is um, that is one of the main things that I think the Tuskegee Airmen are known for is defending the bombers. And in fact, they w- were so skilled at it 
for a reason I can get into, but they were so skilled at it that they got the nickname, the Red Tail Angels. Yeah. Where does that nickname come from? So two different things. Red Tails comes from um, when you're up in the sky, you need to be able to identify who your friend is versus your foe. And so pilots would paint um, the same color on their tail fin for for all of their um, squadron to recognize. And the only paint available was red. <laughs> so most of their planes had red tails. So that's, that's an easy um, answer for that. But the red tail angels were because, you know, it takes a certain kind of person to be a pilot. And um, um, a lot of pilots in the war were out there to make a name for themselves. They wanted to shoot down as many enemies as possible. You shoot down five planes and you get to be called an ace. And so they would go out. And when I say they, I mean, not the Tuskegee Airmen. Um, So most of the military was white at the time because it was a segregated military. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't even say that most of the military was white, but most pilots were white. And they would go out there and you think about like Top Gun Maverick, you're protecting your bumblebee and then you see an enemy and you're like, I'm going to go shoot that guy down. And they would leave the bomber plane unprotected. And so because uh, the Tuskegee Airmen were considered something of an experiment because the military wasn't um, sure if um, Black people could fly, even though they'd been proving for years that they could, and they weren't sure that that an all-Black squadron was going to work out, their commander, this guy, Captain Benjamin O. Davis, he was like, guys, we can't go chasing glory. We have to do our job. And so they stayed with the bomber planes and protected them no matter what. They didn't go off chasing kills to try to be heroes. They became heroes in this different way. So when bombers looked out the window to see who um, who had been assigned to protect them, you couldn't see the color of the pilot from that sort of distance in the cockpit with all their gear on, but they could see that red tail. And they knew if there was a red tail fighter on their side that they had a better chance of making it home alive. And so they started getting called the red tail angels. Absolutely. I mean, you touched on something really important there. Um, You know, during that time, a lot of black soldiers were relegated to support roles. So why did President Roosevelt in 1939 finally relent and order the civilian pilot training program to be open to black students who wished to become pilots? So the civilian pilot training program was something initiated by the government to start training um, primarily college age um, white people to fly. And um, there's a school in Chicago at the time, the Coffee School of Aviation, run by an African-American pilot named Cornelius Coffee, And his partner was um, his wife, Willa Brown. And they, along with the African-American newspapers at the time, primarily the Chicago Defender, um, started lobbying for opportunities for people of color in the air. It was like the next frontier. And um, and they were just as capable as anybody else of flying. And so um, a bunch of historically Black colleges and other flight schools started lobbying to allow African-Americans to be part of the civilian pilot training program. And that finally did happen, as you said, um, because, well, political pressure 
And um, there's this terrible war rising in the West, and I'm sorry, in the, in Europe. And um, there's this terrible war rising in Europe. And the United States was trying to stay out of it. But I think the writing was on the wall that eventually they weren't going to be able to. So the more people that could fly here could, even if we never went to war overseas, could protect and patrol our borders. Right. And so the civilian pilot training program began and um, the coffee school had a unit and they had a unit down at uh, the Tuskegee Institute, which was a traditionally black school in Alabama. Why, why did they choose the Tuskegee Institute? Over like the coffee school yeah. or anything else for this program? Yes. Uh, a couple of reasons. Well, more than a couple of reasons, but the reasons that I can list for you right now are... The claim was if we do it in the South, the weather is better. And so there's more flying time, right? Mm -hmm. Chicago gets terrible winters. So you couldn't train year round um, for flight school. So that was one reason. Um, I think they were more comfortable with it being at a um, college level rather than, um, uh, um, you know, not everybody goes to college. So the they wanted to also build in the segregation. Uh, the coffee school made a point of in every class, they had at least one woman and at least one white person to show that people of color, women and white people could all work and fly together. Mm. The Tuskegee program being in the deep South and the Jim Crow South and already segregated, right? Tuskegee was a black university in Alabama, they were willing to accept segregation in the program that started down there. So the Tuskegee Airmen program um, was became the Tuskegee Airmen program because they were willing to concede um, where the coffee school was not. The coffee school wanted full integration and the military was not ready for that. The military claimed that a lot of white soldiers were from the South and would not um, would not be happy about full integration. But obviously racism is not restricted to one part of the country. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was the law of the land um, until the Tuskegee Airmen came along and showed what they could do. Right. So I, I want to, I want to go into that a little bit deeper because you had mentioned how successful they were. Uh, by the end of the war, the 302nd, uh, 32nd downed 108 enemy aircraft and a bunch had a bunch of accolades for their work overseas. They um, are praised for having the lowest loss records of all the escort fighter groups, but they still returned to a segregated America. So how do you think that played a role? How did they adjust back to that coming back? So this has been an issue in our nation since, uh, well, probably since the start of our nation, because African-Americans did serve in the, um, <clears throat> the American Revolution. But um, it really started in World War I. Um, there was this concept of what they call a double victory, that if um, African-Americans could prove their valor in war um, overseas, that they would no longer be treated as second citizens back in the United States. They would win their civil rights along with helping win the war. And so 
in World War One, there was a unit that became known as the Harlem Hellfighters, um, African-American unit sent to fight in France. They saw more combat time than almost any other unit. They served with incredible valor. There's so many stories in there. Um, when they came back, there was a huge parade in Manhattan up Fifth Avenue that um, it was the first time white Americans at home were seeing a group of well-trained orderly um, soldiers who happened to be black. And rather than evince pride in these people, it turned into a summer of violence called the Red Summer, where there were attacks against returning veterans and mm -hmm. black communities, and it was quite bloody. And so the civil rights movement which was already in effect, rose in an attempt to try to, um, well, A, defend defend people of color, but also to find a, find a path to equality. So World War II comes around and here's another chance. Here's another chance to win that double victory. And you're right, the Tuskegee Airmen, they go overseas, they fly almost 1,500 combat missions, they come back with like almost 100 distinguished flying crosses, almost 50 purple hearts, bronze stars, a thousand air medals for heroism. And the first thing you get when you step off the boat is a sign saying whites this way, blacks that way. Mm. It was hard. It was very hard. Um, it's interesting in talking to people about the second world war and in doing my research I, I read a story of a woman who in the 60s is in her college classroom and they're talking about the war and she happens to be african-american and she says oh my dad was a pilot in world war ii and her professor says that's impossible really there were no black pilots because they were not promoted or advertised in the main media. It was, you would see signs um, saying support our boys with an African-American pilot on the poster in black communities. In fact, um, th there's a story, I actually put it in my, my book, uh, Who Were the Tuskegee Airmen? It's the opening of the book that this bomber plane is damaged, white crew, and they are limping um, trying to get back to um, a friendly air base because they've been shot up over enemy territory. And finally, they find a landing field and they don't know if it's German or American. They just have to land and they land and they see these red tailed planes. But then these black men come running out. Just to help them. Mm. And the crew is like, who are you guys? They had no idea that the red tails were African-American. No idea that there were black pilots at all in the military. So even for civilians, when they came back and, um, you know, they had all of these accomplishments to their name and, and to their squadron, there's a chance, a, a very high chance that no one even knew who they were because it wasn't talked about in the media. That's what you're saying. Yes, yes. And to the point where people wouldn't believe it. And because <clears throat> there was a long standing um you know, this is the uh, element of racism, uh, stereotypes that are built into racism, that um, African-Americans were not brave. And therefore, how could they make good soldiers? Never mind the, the fact that, 
Right. And they've been fighting alongside every other American, like I said, since the American Revolution. And we've had, uh, you know, people of color flying airplanes since the 1920s. Mm. Yeah. But it wasn't believed. I mean, which is is so unfortunate and and it's horrible. Um, but what the Tuskegee Airmen did, they they really um, they went out there and they did they did their job like true Americans and and helps their brothers and sisters and they they did such wonderful work. Um, so it's such a shame that they had to come back to that. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. I fast forward to 1948. That's when the U.S. Armed Forces were integrated. What role did the Tuskegee Airmen play in that, do you think? I believe the Tuskegee Airmen played a huge role in the ultimate integration of the United States military. Um, uh, Something to know is by that point, um, FDR had died and the president was Harry S. Truman. Now, Harry S. Truman has a history with African-American aviators. Um, Back in the 30s, there were two um, flyers out of, um, uh, I mentioned the Coffee School of Aviation. Um, Coffee belonged to a group called the Challenger um, Air Pilots Association that ultimately became the National Airmen's Association of America. Um, People of color who flew, but they became a national organization. And to raise awareness about people of color flying, They sent two people, um, Chauncey Spencer, whose mother was a poet, uh, Ann Spencer, in the Harlem Renaissance, and a fellow named Dale White. They went on a goodwill tour. Um, They flew uh, a really actually kind of a janky little plane. It was the best they could afford, and it broke down um, in Indiana, and people had to drive out and help fix it. But they ended up flying all the way to Washington, D.C. to meet with Um, the government to try to encourage them to include African-Americans in aviation and give people more opportunities. And then they visited all these colleges um, in the area, all these um, historically black colleges before they came back to Chicago. When they were in Washington, D.C., they are walking along through, I think it was one of those tunnels underneath like the Capitol and um, run into a, a senator named Harry S. Truman. And when he learns that these guys have flown, he's like, I want to see your plane. And they take him to see the plane and they're telling him about what they're trying to do and give more opportunities to black people. And when he sees this plane stuck together with chewing gum and he says, if you fellas are brave enough to fly that plane, I'm brave enough to speak up for you in Congress. And so um, and that is where he first met pilots of color. And so after the stellar service that they provided during the war, um, that had to have been in his mind. He's known now for, um, you know, over a decade, how capable um, people are. And and it's the way the wind was blowing. So um, yeah, 1948, they finally desegregated. And that meant that some of the original Tuskegee Airmen ended up in, we also did not have an air force at the time. It was part of the army. And so 
they became pilots in the Army Air Force, um, and we ended up developing an actual Air Force separately. And um, in fact, um, I knew uh, one of the Tuskegee Airmen, this wonderful man, Lieutenant Colonel um, Robert Friend. Um, he went on to run Project Blue Book mm, for the yes. Air Force. So he was a UFO investigator. Okay, I wanted to ask you that, Cherie, because I love aliens. I lo- I actually hosted a show about it on Fox Nation, um, people who have had experiences. Um, and I read that the Tuskegee Airmen led a classified inquiry into UFOs. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? I actually have not heard it put that way, that the Tuskegee Airmen specifically read something. I just know that um, Lieutenant Colonel Friend um was a Tuskegee Airman and later in his career he moved into Project Blue Book and yeah you know it's funny I did an event with him and um uh, at the end we're signing books because there's a, a a great book called Black Wings um that the Smithsonian uh put out by a guy named Von Hardesty that's all about African-American aviators and we're signing some copies after this talk and a guy comes up and starts spouting UFO theories. Mm. Um, and um, Bob, uh, one of his people was like, it happens at every signing. Somebody comes up and wants to know. And so I asked him what was the strangest thing he'd ever seen, Ooh. you know? Um, and he kept pointing out that UFO does not mean extraterrestrial. It just means we don't know what it is. It's unidentified, <laughs> right? And so he said the most interesting thing was um, someone living in like a cottage in a forest in Germany had a ball of light come down their chimney, dance across the rim of their brass bed and go back up the chimney and out. No. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that crazy? And I was like, whoa, you know, like that's proof of aliens. And he goes, no, it was ball lightning. I it's think it was phenomenon. aliens. <laughs> yeah, you, you want to think it was, but he said it's ball lightning, which is something he was familiar with as a pilot. What is ball lightning? It's a form of lightning or a static charge that, as far as I understand it, it, it can take the shape of a ball. And he said sometimes it'll glide along the wings of an airplane. Whoa. And I- that, because it's attracted to the metal. And so this stuff came down because, you know, and found some metal and then it, it dissipated. Okay, but to come down your chimney, come on. I know, I know, but I guess chimneys are reinforced with metal, and I, I, I don't know. I guess you could find a a scientific and ordinary explanation <laughs> for everything, and an unordinary explanation. And I think you and I like the unordinary. I agree. Also, are we sure that in, uh, an extraterrestrial form didn't create ball lightning? That's. I'm asking all the important questions here. Uh, I'm actually (laughs) glad that you corrected me. So it was Robert Friend who was the Tuskegee Airman who looked into this. It wasn't multiple. I must have read that wrong. But okay, that's good. I'm glad we we corrected the record on that. Yeah, and I I, I can say I, I... It, that's not to say that other people involved with Project Blue Book were not Tuskegee Airmen. I actually um, don't know the answer to that. Okay. I just know that his relationship. But yeah, and oh, and one thing I would like to just add is that the term Tuskegee Airmen, and today you can find um, they're called DOTAs or Designated Original Tuskegee Airmen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because some of them are, God bless them, still with us and still doing uh, public events and things. So uh, get your chance to meet one of these incredible people. But I just wanted to point out that the term did not just refer to the pilots, it referred to everybody that was part of the program. So um, that would cover everyone from uh, the nurses and secretaries and the ground crew, a lot of whom were women. Um, particularly in the States. Uh, once they went overseas, uh, no women went overseas, but the ground crew down in Tuskegee, a lot of um, them were women. So engineers, um, some of them went on to become navigators and bombardiers. Um, those all would be considered Tuskegee airmen, even if some of them never went into the air. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, that's incredible because, you know, as as we know in any job, it's not just, it takes a lot of people behind the scenes to make something happen. And, you know, the Tuskegee Airmen obviously had this incredible courage and went up there, did so much. But but for them to get up in the air, it took a lot of people on the ground as well. So I'm glad they're being recognized. We always say it takes a village, mm. but we don't stop to think about what that really means. Mm -hmm. And that we that means that every single person in that village deserves respect. Absolutely. What what were their lives like after their military life? Did they get other jobs or did they work within the military? Um, what, what did it look like for them? So consider in World War II, um, because there was such a mass mobilization here in the United States, and you had your Rosie the Riveter women who were working in jobs that traditionally had been held for men, and you now have all these trained pilots. When all the soldiers came back, um, it sort of like flushed everybody out of the new positions they were in. So women who had become used to working in factories and other places were now expected to go back home and be mothers and stay in the kitchen. And pilots were now looking for somewhere else they could fly. So some people stayed in the military, um, as some Tuskegee Airmen stayed in the, uh, in the Army Air Force. <clears throat> Others, if you were a white pilot, it was sort of the the birth of the commercial airline industry. <clears throat> ah. And so there were plenty of jobs for pilots if you were white. The black pilots weren't as lucky because nobody wanted to hire them. And so um, there was some effort to find ways of reintegrating people in a way that could use their skills. Um, uh, Cornelius Coffee had the idea of a of a cargo plane service, but that never came to fruition. Um, so a lot of people either stopped flying or like I know some of the women went to Alaska and became bush pilots because wow. um, people weren't so picky up in Alaska, <laughs> you know, about how people should live. Um, so it's possible. I do not know of any African-Americans that went and did that, but um you could find work as an engineer. Um, a lot of people had gotten into flying through um, through being auto mechanics. Um, so you end up being grounded and coming back to this regular life unless you stayed in the military or had um, the means to afford your own plane. Mm -hmm. Bush pilots, by the way, that's a dangerous job also. It oh, takes yeah, a special person as well. We'll be right back after this. 
we talk so much about the Tuskegee Airmen and what a great accomplishment it was. Just just the fact that they were able to kind of break that color barrier in the military. But if you took, uh, if we're just talking to them as, about them as human beings, what do you think was so significant about their squadron and what made them so successful as skilled pilots? I want to go back and say um, that I do know some of the returning airmen became educators. Mm -hmm. Um, And that could be everything from high school um, on up. And, um, and some people worked for the government in other capacities as well. To answer your question about what made these guys so special Um, Well, I can tell you what made them capable. What made them capable is is a little bit ironic. Some of it was um, purely grit, you know, grit and determination. Um, And you're talking about a group of people who always had to have grit and determination Mm -hmm. to make it as black men in uh, in a segregated United States. But because the government considered the Tuskegee Airmen to be an experiment, they called it the Tuskegee Experiment, not to be confused with the horrific medical um, uh, medical trials that were also known as the Tuskegee Experiment. But they considered it an experiment. And as such, when the first squadrons were ready to fly and were waiting to go into combat, the United States government would not send them overseas. And as a result, they all they could do was train. And they trained and trained more than white pilots were getting training. These guys worked together until they were a well-oiled machine. So it was something that they brought with them when they finally were shipped out first to North Africa and then to Italy. They, um, they knew how to work together in a way that um, pilots with less training would not know. Um, no, absolutely. I, I, like you said, it, it kind of relates. I mean, they, they did have to have a lot of grit and they were dealing with a lot. And, and, uh, you know, during that time, it was not an easy life to live. Um, so I'm sure some of those skills and, and some of that mentality carried over into the military. Uh, I'm going to add that, um, uh, their captain, Benjamin O. Davis was an incredible man and he kept them to task. Um, he really kept them to task. This guy, he was the only black cadet at West Point um, in his day. There had only been two others. One of them was his father. And um, at West Point, um, the other cadets were so unhappy as having a with having a black man in their midst that they did uh, what they called silencing. They refused to speak to him the entire time he was there, um, unless it was necessary to um, get schoolwork done. So he ate alone, he he was ignored, and yet he had the backbone to graduate with flying colors and go on to become, uh, um, I think he's one of the first four-star generals in the military. Wow. I mean, yeah. such an accomplishment. Uh, that's, that's incredible. Um, I should correct that and say first four-star generals of color. In right, the right, 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 right. So what just um in terms of you know if people are listening to this and and uh they have kind of learned about the Tuskegee Airmen just on a baseline level is there anything that you can think of that isn't necessarily pointed out as often something like a really fun uh fact about them or or something that people don't really know 
Oh, uh, I think this is a funny little story. When they first, um, when they first were deployed to North Africa, well, two things happened there. They did not know where they were going. They were not being told because it was, you know, top secret. And so they packed for winter weather because, you know, all the news was about the war in Europe. And then they ended up in um, North Africa where it was blazing hot. Um, so they weren't prepared for that. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, when they were in town before they, they um, shipped out, or I should say trucked out to their base, um, someone bought a Coca-Cola, a bottle of Coca-Cola, and um, they packed it in ice when they got to the base and said whoever shot down the first plane, first enemy plane, would get to have that Coca-Cola. Wow. I love that story. It's very funny. I, I mean, it's, 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 it's funny, but it's also bittersweet because right, it's right. a war, you know? And so, um, gosh, I can't quite remember the name of the person who got the drink, but, um, you know, it came at a price. It came at a price, which I think is interesting because Coca-Cola can indeed be bittersweet. That's right. And, you know, and it was for them. Yeah, you never you never want to be put in a situation where you do. I mean, we talk about this all the time with the military, even today's worlds. I mean, you you it's a it's a horrible thing that, you know, they do have to shoot down planes and they do have to do these things. But the fact that we can talk about that moment and point out the camaraderie they had just by being able to the little thing of just a Coca-Cola. It's you know, it's not like it was some this grand prize, but the fact that it was cold and the fact that it was something different. I mean, that's that kind of reminds you of the fact that it's the little things, especially when you're dealing with a time of war. Yeah, it's the things that keep you going. Um, the guy's name was Charles Hall. Okay. Um, yeah, and he managed to shoot down uh, enemy aircraft. And I, um, it's funny because that bottle of Coke also must have really felt like home. Mm, yeah. Well, so the last question I have for you, uh, just because we've we've talked so much about the Tuskegee Airmen and, and what they did at that time and, and that some, um, God bless them, are still alive today to tell their stories. How do you think the Tuskegee Airmen's legacy is preserved today? One of the big ways the Tuskegee Airmen's legacy is preserved today is in the fact that we have a fully integrated military that is a huge part of their legacy um the desegregation of the military um and pilots of color um you we now have uh you know may jimison a a a, a black female astronaut um several african american astronauts um exist today because the tuskegee airmen existed back in 1942 1943 we have um uh you know look into the cockpit of your commercial airlines uh we have african american fighter pilots we have um you know, um, people of color in STEM, in, you know, science, technology, engineering, and uh, mechanics, and mathematics, and um, in the attitude that you devote yourself to your work, and you can achieve great things. On a more sort of practical level there are organizations like the tuskegee airmen's um 
Incorporated, which has conventions every year. Um, so you can go and meet Tuskegee Airmen. Um, it's organizations, there are other organizations like that that exist for the airmen themselves, but also for the rest of us to um, to learn from their experiences. I went to one a few years ago and, and I have to say it was incredible. And to meet some airmen and the their children, um, meet some of the women that are airmen. Um, I met um, Callie O'Gentry was a nurse um, for the airmen. She said all the pilots were afraid of her. <laughs> because she had the ability to ground them. She could say, you're not fit to fly. And so they all were afraid and respected <laughs> her. Um, yeah, it, it it's, there are also organizations. I know Southwest Airlines had something for a while. Um, uh, uh, some of the major airlines do where they encourage and promote um, learning aviation um, for young people of color. There are a few organizations out here in Los Angeles that also encourage um, aviation education for young people. And um, so every time you see a, a kid look up at an airplane and wonder if they can do that too, that's part of the Tuskegee Airmen's legacy is that the answer is yes. That is so impactful. And, you know, they really have paved the road. We saw their valor, their dedication, their true grit, like you had mentioned. Um, and it was really such a pleasure, Cherie, to be able to talk to you about it all today. Thank you so much for your insight. And anyone who's listening, if you want to learn more, check out Cherie's book, Who Are the Tuskegee Airmen? You can also read uh, Fly Girl, which I'm going to do now because I'm inspired. And uh, Cherie, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're more than welcome. This has been a real pleasure. All right, if you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about the Tuskegee Airmen. Number one, the Tuskegee Airmen were the first African-American aviators in the U.S. military. They often had to fly by instinct because they weren't always told where they were going. Cherie told the story that on one occasion, they packed for the winter, but then were deployed to Africa. So you can only imagine what that felt like. Number two, they were called the Red Tail Angels or the Red Tails because they painted the tail of their planes red to distinguish their aircraft from other squadrons. When other pilots of the US military saw them coming, they knew they were protected. And number three. Well, the Tuskegee Airmen were famous for protecting people during the war and had accolades when they came back. They still returned to a segregated America. And since there wasn't a lot of promotion in the media of the Red Tails during the war, People didn't necessarily know their value or how they fought in the war. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on the Tuskegee Airmen. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.